Welcome to episode 60 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're a couple machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Chris, Eddie, it's good to be talking with you guys again. It sure is. It's doing good. And we're excited to have a special guest with us tonight. We have Zach Dunham, who's the Director of Marketing at Bantam Tools. And before you go, oh, no, no, marketing, Zach, you really do a whole lot more than just marketing there. Um, so why don't, you, uh, why don't you say hi to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you, you do at Bantam Tools. Sure, sure. Yeah. And um, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be, finally be on DFX podcast. So this, this is awesome. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Um, so yeah, Bantam Tools. Um, we make desktop CNC machines. And I do a lot of things at Bantam. Um, Marketing and community development is definitely one of them. And, um, you know, I think anyone who's worked in a small company, you know, like like uh, certainly a small hardware company before knows that everybody wears a lot of hats. So, yeah, marketing is one thing that I do. Um, running machines and, you know, validating hardware. And I would say, like, continuing to learn CNC is another thing that I do a lot at Bantam. And, um whether it's uh, yeah, putting together projects that our co- our community is going to be uh, diving into, or speaking to folks like you know like yourselves on our own podcast, um, yeah, just just trying to you know immerse myself and all of us immerse all of ourselves in in digital fabrication every day. So, um, but yeah, Bantam Tools were a uh, small team. We're now in Peekskill, New York. We used to be in Berkeley, California, under the former name Other Machine Co. And there are about 15 of us that come to a a new facility in Peekskill. It's about 10,000 square feet. And right now, all we're doing every day is uh, tuning and producing our new Bantam Tools desktop CNC milling machine. Very cool. Yeah, that's been kind of all over the social media last (laughs) couple months. So uh, I've been enjoying watching uh, Vince Fab do amazing things with that machine over at Saunders. Yeah. Um, so you guys, you guys are mostly, um, I mean, you're all in peak skill now and you guys are actually doing a lot of in-house manufacturing for that machine, right? Yeah. Uh, made in the U S is sort of like a, uh, it's a very technical and legal term. Um, <laughs> Bree Bri and I sometimes will will butt heads about this. Call be like, "No, we're made in the U.S." And he's like, "No, no, Zach. There's 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 actually like there's a legal definition of this." But um, yeah, I think for most people that came into the shop, they'd be like, "Wow, you guys make every last bit of this machine in house." Um, we have two big Mazak uh, machining centers that do the bulk of the work for the new machine, and then we obviously do all the assembly and. Um, uh, sort of other things, you know, we're not making the circuit boards in house, but, um, for the most part, I would say like 90% plus of this machine is, is made within, within our HQ and, and assembled and tested there. Yeah. That's, I think that's, uh, that's a big plus as far as controlling your own quality and, uh, and, and, and you're learning, I mean, you guys have machining experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it probably, probably informs the product ultimately. That, that part is interesting, right? Because the people that have that are doing like certainly we get feedback from the folks that are running the the Mazaks and um, get them to dog food a bit on the new machine and get their feedback. It's and it's it is interesting because um, they're two different worlds. And I think Chris, you you probably know this best. Um, there's the you know the technology that's been around since 1950s that exists in this industrial space that is you know big you know heavy bulky CNC machines with controllers that um, honestly if you put me in front of I wouldn't really know where to begin uh, and then there's this desktop space where we're making all these layers of abstraction and making things you know quick and easy to use um, but they're they're a lot less powerful so that that kind of transition of getting the um, machine operators or the big machine centers to come and, and mess around with the desktop machines has been has been fun and, and definitely informative. I will say that um, making hardware at this scale and at this level of complexity during a pandemic is, whew, that's a that's a whole other level of um, taking things in house. That yeah, we've we've um, I'd say I've been getting our butts kicked a little bit with it's it's hard. Um, Winston, you could probably speak to this too because I know that you guys recently brought a bunch of work in house. Yeah, it's it's super challenging, but at the same time, having it in house also gives you a lot more control. 
Um, because when you have vendors who say, oh yeah, we'll get it to you in like two months or something, it could be three months. Um, yeah. And it's being being in control. Um, a, it gives you a better quality product and it just, it gives you a better understanding of what that lead time actually is. Mm. Um, so it can hopefully just help you plan better. Um, but it is still extremely challenging because there's some upstream things that you don't control. I mean, like we don't wind our own stepper motors. That is mm-hmm. another vendor. So you're, you're always at the mercy of someone else to a certain extent. Um, but it's cool that you guys are taking that route of doing as much as you can in house. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's pretty crucial for, for these machines to the, for the points that, that you're making. Um, you know, there are definitely some companies in our, in our general sphere that design stateside and then send things overseas. And I think, um, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been really exciting setting up the new space in Peakskill and having that 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 was always kind of the DNA that that Bree had envisioned um, for this company in Peakskill was that we would do all this manufacturing in house. So um, it's cool. It's motivating. I am curious though, how does this differ from uh, your PCB milling machine? Like, uh, was that manufactured for you by a third party or something, or like, what's the transition like I- now that you're doing everything? With the Mazex. Yeah. Um, so two very different machines um, for folks that aren't familiar. The Bantam Tools desktop PCB milling machine was this, um, and and is, I should say, this uh, cute and powerful and, uh, little 17-pound uh, CNC that's roughly, you know, a foot cubed. And the enclosure is made of HDPE. And it came out of some research projects at MIT where the sort of origin of other machine co um, is uh, that HDPE enclosure that was also wasn't just the enclosure but also had you know structural integrity for the for the machine itself was part of the frame that was all precision machined out of house like none of that was done in-house um, so the assembly for that product was pretty intense. Um, everything had to like just be right in, in order to pull off the magic that is like machining with a 17 pound CNC. Um, <laughs> with this machine, it's, it's definitely different in that we're bringing like the machine frame and, you know, the spindle is made in house and, um, a lot, a lot of, yeah, I would say again, most of the components are, are machined in house. So we brought on a few new engineers when we moved um, to the East Coast, and you know, one of the guys um, has been in manufacturing and design for manufacturing for for yet yeah, broadly speaking for like thirty five, <clears throat> excuse me, like thirty five years. So he just brought a tremendous amount of expertise to the team um, when it came to like making this something that would be feasible to do in house. Yeah, so let's get into the nitty gritty of the <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the machine desktop CNC milling machine itself. So uh, I think you know most people are probably uh, if they know Bantam, they're familiar with the the PCB machine you you just talked about. Yeah. Uh, but the desktop machine, uh, I think this kind of started with the design goals. I think the biggest thing was you guys kind of focused on a machine that would be competent, a desktop machine that would be competent machining aluminum and basically harder materials than you would typically attack with the uh yeah pcb milling machine yeah it was this funny thing with um so the you can't talk about yeah it's it it, it's interesting the pcb mill was great at milling pcbs like you could do really fine detail uh printed circuit board work and the community was super jazzed about that for years um and then, you know, China got really fast and cheap at producing PCBs. You, if you want a, a board and you want a, you know, two-layer or four-layer board, you can get, like, 60 boards for, like, $25 in, like, 48 hours from, like, PCB card or PCB way. And so I think the uh, the use case for just machining circuit boards kind of went down. And also, like, as the community gets into machining more and more generally speaking um when when they get one of these machines you know they move on from circuit boards and they start cutting plastics and then they move on from plastics and they're like wow maybe i can try cutting aluminum with this and we what we found was like all these basically everyone was just like pushing this machine all the way like to its limit and then like a little bit beyond and the experience at that point of machining aluminum wasn't like that great and i, I think ed you're like you're in the top 1% of people who really 
could tune the machine and knew the tooling to use and the parameters to really get it to um, still like cut well and sound sound good. Um, but it was slow. Like it was it was really slow. Um, you know the the material removal rate, which is definitely a big benchmark for this new machine, was like 0.01 inches or something. Um, and so we looked at that and we're like, yeah, like let's make a machine that makes this like a lot faster. And so we started out, you know, with some internal goals. So we're like, let's make it three times faster. Um, and like around last January, we ended up at a build and we were like, whoa, this is really fast. This is like 10 times faster. Wow, this is exciting. And then we spent another week like tuning speeds and feeds and we're like, wow, we're still, okay, now we're at a quarter cubic inch. And then we like tuned a little bit more and we're like, all right, we're just under half a cubic inch. And then we tuned a little bit more and, you know, changed up speeds. And then we're like, okay, we're north of half a cubic inch. Now we're like 60 times faster than the PCB mill. Like, I think this is good enough. Maybe we should, maybe we should pause here and, um, and, and, and get this hardware, get the rest of this project together. So, yeah, I mean, the, like, broadly speaking, this new machine, it's really designed to make machining aluminum parts, something that's, you know, fast and easy. And one part of that is the hardware. So at the heart of it is this 28,000 RPM spindle that's really designed for quarter inch tooling. Um, and the other part of that is the software, which is something that, yeah, personally I've been in pretty involved in and, uh, and am excited by as someone who's like a, you know, I de I'm definitely not an expert user by any means. I wouldn't even call myself like an, an like intermediate, you know, or advanced intermediate user. I think I'm squarely like an intermediate user. Um, but the software changes that we've implemented, I think, um, have certainly helped me and I think are going to help a lot of people get better at, at using these machines. Yeah, I think that that's always been a kind of differentiator for desktop machines in general and Bantam tools specifically was that the software was aimed very much at the non-machinist community, you know, making it easy for them to, um, you know, up to cer certain limits, basically get their idea uh, turned into something physical that they could hold. Yeah. Um, you know, with not much more, uh, I guess the user experience very similar to 3D printing, right? It was kind of, I think, I don't know if that was ever stated, but that's the way I kind of looked at where your software was, you know, you were trying to get as close to click and print, click and machine as, <laughs> as you could. That is definitely the holy grail. I think we're still pretty far, you know, ways away from that. But um, yeah, like, um, so you start, you like weigh up the ante with how quickly you can machine something. And then the next thing comes like, oh, cool. Like, how do we do a two-op part on this? And that's just like never something that I would try with the PCB mill. One, because it's just hard to reorient a part. Um, and I think you like rarely would get there because um, that would be like an eight-hour job or something. Um, so the probing was the huge thing that we brought in. Um, with the new software, um, we, we sort of kept the conductive nature of the bed. So you, you do a tool touch off, um, using the conductivity of the bed to measure the tool length offset, but then you use that same technology to set all of your work coordinate offsets. So the, the standard setup for this machine is like you load your file, you, um, put a probe in, uh, you fixture your part down and then you jog the spindle over that front left corner of your stock to begin with. Um, and hit start and it pops down and touches off the top and left and front sides. And then that's, you know, WCS, you know, operation number one, that's, that fixes your, your material in there. And it's very repeatable and really accurate. Um, and so that just takes a bunch of guesswork out for first time users. But then there's also like, there's a bunch of other probing routines. Um, that's part of our subscription, which we could talk about. Um, but then there's a bunch of other probing routines that are just yeah b baked into the software for free. So like you can zero out off of X, Y, or Z using conductivity as well. And um, it just op it allows people to go from like beginner to intermediate. I think in a really clear way because with without that, I think um, you know cer certainly myself and I think a lot of users would be lost. Or like, all right, how do I get a really accurate read on now that I've taken this part out and I'm flipping it over and I want to you know put this chamfer on the backside of this, this, this part that has a complex shape. So, um, that stuff's super cool. Yeah. So I want to circle back to the software, uh, in a minute, but, um, you know, for our listeners, let's, let's kind of do a quick recap of the specs on the machine. So I, I yes. think you already mentioned the spindle. You said it's 28 K. 
or 28,000 RPM. 28,000 RPM spindle. It's, um, 250 Watts. Um, the build volume is roughly seven inches by nine inches by three and a half inches. Um, in Z, yeah. In Z, yep. There's a lot more space inside the machine. Actually, we don't, I don't have, I don't have that on the site, and I can't tell you immediately off the top of my head how much wider the interior of the machine is outside of the bed. It's probably another four inches on either side. Um, so there's quite a bit of room, and then the bed is like three inches off the bottom of the enclosure. So you can machine a couple pounds of chips before you need to like pause and, um, and, and deal with Back that. Out. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Um, that's cool. The, the rapids are like 225 inches a minute. I would say generally we're, we're, you know, we're not some of the recipes that we've done are like, you know, we're, we're milling up to like 180 inches a minute. Haven't really done much machining at like 200 inches a minute. Um, but you can, you can certainly wrap it up to that. Um, it's fully enclosed. Uh, it's got windows in the front and both sides. Um, there's a little bit of lighting. I would say probably not, uh, not as luxe as the new Nomad three. Um, the lighting there looks really nice. (laughs) Um, and there's obviously an e-stop and then there's a safety interlock on the window. So if you're using this in a classroom and someone, you know, opens up the front of the machine, it's going to kill the spindle. So you guys also, um, you have some new work holding options, right? I think the T-slot bed is, well, even the, yeah. Your yeah. So first it, machine had that too. <laughs> but, it, uh, it did, but it didn't really ship with it. So the so the PCB mill shipped with just the like the blank spoil board, and we made the call early on to ship this with the with the T slot bed. So it ships with the T slot bed and a little like right angle bracket that's pre installed and squared in um, at the factory before it ships, and that's along the back right corner. And then it comes with two, two toe clamps. Um, it's the, the fixed string is all aluminum. So, you know, like it's, it's comes with the machine for free, but it's not steel. They're not like steel toe clamps or anything, which is going to be fine for most people to get started. And then, you know, once you get a little bit more serious, you'll probably upgrade to, um, uh, yeah, something not made out of aluminum, but, um, yeah, that- that aluminum is much more forgiving if you <laughs> run into it your first few times you're learning to use the machine. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. <laughs> um, and then the T-slot bed, it's, it's made, um, with the intention that, um, it's sort of like a swappable build plate. So we, um, also will have a, just a, a blank spoil board that we're going to have two different sizes. I think one's a half an inch and one's three quarters of an inch. Um, and then there's also a fixturing pallet. Um, we made, it's funny. We, we made a prototype of one the same day that, uh, uh, Saunders machine works made one when they got their test machine. Um, and I think there's is safe to say there's a little cooler. Um, they, <laughs> they, they, they really took advantage of the, uh, large interior. So Vince did a setup where he basically kept the build volume of seven by nine inches on the bed, but then the fixturing pallet is a lot wider, so you can keep your, um, you, you know, if you have stock that's a little bit longer, you can go off the edges or, or you keep your um, vice on the outside there so it really maximize the um, machining area. Yeah, I saw that. That was, uh, I'm uh, hoping that becomes a product. That, that <laughs> I think, would, I think. If I had that machine, that's definitely one of the first upgrades uh, I'd make. Yeah. Um, so you guys, uh, so on the software, I know the, you guys kind of completely revamped that, um, from what I was familiar with on the, the PCB machine, although I think they've also got some of the updates, uh, the existing user base yeah. received some nice updates. But why don't you tell us kind of, um, so I think the thing that's new with the desktop CNC machine is you guys uh, have kind of split between a base and a subscription mm-hmm. value add, extra features mm-hmm. kind of a support model for continuing investment in the in the software. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're, I love that you're being clear about that. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah. So we're in an interesting place with this machine. It's, um, I think we're filling a hole in, in the market and as such, our user base is pretty varied. Um, we've had some exciting pre-orders from companies that, you know, are like in the top five for, you know, like making musical instruments. And then we've also had some companies pre-order machine that are doing things like sending stuff into outer space. 
And on the other side, we've got folks who are reaching out saying, hey, this is I've never done any machining before. I've really wanted to get into it. Um, this looks like, you know, it's got the power that that I'm, you know, after. Uh but but yeah, this is my first CNC. So we've got this kind of hobbyist um, or you know beginner CNC community, and then all, also these professional users. And so I think with the software, you know, we knew that we wanted to revamp the software um, from the control software that basically has been the same control software that other Machine Co and Bantam Tools users have have experienced for the last seven years. Um, and when we did that, we were kind of looking at a few different models and you know i think that folks you know certainly everyone people are definitely going to have some reactions to the words description especially in the cad cam community right now with everything that's going on and i it's totally understandable but what we were looking at is like do we include the cost of software development in the machine itself or do we break this out as something different and i think breaking it out as something different um and as something that would be paid separately for for these additional features is really trying to get the best of both worlds and and speak to both of these users. So yeah, for like 17 bucks a month, um, there are some advanced features for the software that we've really tried to design um, with the folks who really value their that value their time. Um, so that's things like advanced probing. So you can do like uh, boss probes, bore probes, um, like outer rectangular corners. Um, there's now conversational cam that's built in. We just rolled that out in, um, the October release. Uh, there's support for folks who want to do PCB milling with the Eagle integration specifically. Obviously you can use like flat cam or whatever and generate some G code and machine PCBs without paying any money. Um, but for folks on the desktop CNC machine, we've, we've ported over that Eagle integration, um, and I think before I go any further, if anyone's listening to this and they own the PCB mill, don't worry. If you're running the new software, it recognizes that you're on a PCB mill and honors the old um, Eagle integration that we had there. So that would be silly if we didn't do that. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other things um, like there's some advanced SVG support. So you can do color encoding. If you're familiar with like the way that you color encode files for laser cutters, uh, there's also a way to encode more, you know, complex two and a half D files, uh, with the subscription. And I think really, you know, broadly speaking, we're like building a few of these pillars, you know, probing, uh, some of the file structures, some of the file, different file types and, uh, conversational cam. And we're going to go back and just keep developing these really keep tuning these on a monthly basis. And I think it's exciting for some people. They won't want to pay 17 bucks a month for that totally get it. No big deal. Um, and for them, the, the free software is like very fully featured. I, you know, I think once people realize what it has, they're going to recognize that's way better than the software that we have been using for seven years. Um, so that's, that part's exciting, but I'm, Ed, I'm curious to see you run it on a PCB mill and, um, share your thoughts. Uh, I don't have the latest and greatest, but I did upgrade, um, God, what was it early, early this year, I think. Um, so yeah, I've seen some of the stuff that you guys have introduced and, uh, I need to update and see what's, what's in the latest and greatest. Cool. Cool. So, uh, and, and of course I got to see, um, you know, I, I visited for the folks that don't know, I visited, uh, Zach and team up there at peak skill late last year, got an early look at the machine when it was still in the lab, which was great. And, uh, also got to look at the software. I think it's, you know, I know it was like only half built at that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, as far as, yeah. So I'm sure it's uh, got even more features now, but yeah, I'd really like where you guys were going with it. Yeah. It's, it's a hard, uh, you know, I think that there's, we could talk about this for a while. Like um, anytime you're taking something and again, Chris, I'm going to call out the work that you do. Not, not, not knowing that you, the, the specific machines that you work on, but the fact that you're like UMC this and VMC that, um, you're using a very different type of controller than the than the Bantam Tools CNC milling machine software. And I think yeah. the interesting piece there is, right, like which things do you choose to abstract um, for users uh, who are getting, who are using it for the first time? And then also like which, which, which are the software things you choose to abstract for, for folks that are using CNC machines all the time? Um, like again, this technology has been around since the fifties and like the big players in the space have pretty complex controllers. And, um, I think we're just of the mindset of like, 
let's ask the question like which things do we do we need to see at every moment in the software and which things can we can we hide and, and place elsewhere and honestly that's i feel like that's the best approach like just because you know what it, the industry that i'm in they're using all these like like you said like complicated controllers and i'm i'm using them every day and i'm just like why is it so complicated it, it shouldn't be this hard to do something that has been around for this long so when i see controllers like Datron or even your software that I've used before, it's so much easier. And it's like you you decrease the skill cap needed to get on the thing and start running. And therefore you allow more people to get on it and using it. And I think that's like the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like putting these controllers behind something like a Fanuc or a Heidenheim or whatever. <laughs> and you have to go through like a training course yeah. of like three days. And it's like, dude, just make this easy. Make this two buttons, make it super simple to see, make the user interface easy for everyone to pick up. There's kind of a standard already out there of how people interact with things, right? UX and UI and all that stuff. Yep. Just follow that standard. Don't try to like make this weird. And I don't know, and we've talked about this before on the podcast where it's like a legacy thing and I get that, but like, would a little bit of change really kill everybody? <laughs> like, can we just make things easier, you know? So I, I appreciate that, you know? And I wish this, I hope this kind of like leads into the the quote unquote like professional industry somehow but I, mm-hmm. I don't i don't think it ever will because it's it's so integrated in everyone's lives but i hope in the future i'll see a day when things just get more streamlined more efficient and easier to use so i'm glad that you guys are doing that and i hope people follow suit yeah here here and it, i i think certainly going back to the comment about like uh making it more like 3d printing i think that's there's there's a balance though right um I was on a podcast, uh, the Makers on Tap podcast, and I feel like all we talked about in that show was the spectacular, how spectacularly the 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 uh, you know a CNC machine can crash, and um, I we, like we hung we hung up, and I was like, man, we really just made that sound so scary, um, but it is this thing for uh, folks who you know their digital fabrication experience has been like a Glowforge and um, like a MakerBot. It's um, I think the uh, the reason that you know the industrial machinists who are, who are, who are listening and are hemming and hawing about these comments of like don't make it so complicated why does this have to be so complicated and they're saying because it is complicated you know like uh, there's there's setups and there's speeds and feeds and there's tooling and there's there are all these other choices that you have to make um, so it's this balance of like um, you know I think one thing that we can speak directly to is um, when we initially rolled out the the subscription model we had speeds and feeds override in the in the paid version and we've since changed the speed the speeds and feeds uh, override sliders are are in the everyone version they're free um um but but originally we were like yeah this is more of like an advanced user experience um and there's like a very minor uh i think argument that we resolved internally around like hobbyists shouldn't you like or not hobbyists like first-time users shouldn't use these um and i think that that's there's just like a a balance of like education and um and yeah making the ux of of the the software just more understandable because i don't know i guess the concern would be right like first time cnc user grabs quarter inch tool or like one of the big you know like 12 millimeter tools that we that we stock for this machine now and like just goes to town and then grabs the <laughs> grabs the like one of those sliders which are like the fundamental you know re- recipe of any machining and like just drastically changes chip load and you know browns out their machine like that would be the that would be the fear so um yeah i mean the first thing i did was basically mill into the clamp over the bolt that was like my first project i was trying to make something on aluminum and it just you know i railed across everything and obviously that didn't sound very good so i I totally understand the sentiment so let's talk a little bit about uh tooling for the new machine so when i was up there uh i was really impressed with how well it ran with uh you know my go-to tools which are single datron single flutes you guys have the high rpm spindle i think the spindle you ended up with it was even faster than the one on the test machine uh, so are you guys, I think, you, are you guys selling Datron tooling? We, we are, we are now. Okay. Um, yes, we are. And we're carrying some Harvey and helical stuff as well. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Uh, the single flute tools run really well. Um, the 006806A, I think is the, uh, is the one in particular that I like. It's the stubbiest of the, um, Datron single flutes and, uh, it's a six millimeter tool. 
Um, that works wonderfully. Sounds great at like a half a cubic an inch recipe. Um, and uh, obviously the four in one tools, the ones with the the little wiper flat leave just beautiful floor finish, but yeah, not everybody's going to drop 60 bucks on a new end mill to start. Um, so we're, we are including with the machine, um, a tool, a quarter inch tool, quarter inch three flute tool from helical as well that, um, has pretty similar, uh, I would say that the recipes that we're following for that are pretty similar to the the Daytron tooling. I think the the finish probably isn't quite as nice on the floor, um, and maybe runs a little bit louder, but it's still a very very satisfying experience. Um, so yeah, we're carrying and have we're we're carrying a bunch of new tooling um, from Helical, from Harvey, and then also we have a, a pack from from Daytron and. Uh, we're also, you know, it, it's going to ship with the quarter inch collet. So it's really optimized for quarter inch tooling, but you know, I say optimized, like we're, we're excited about pushing in that ter- territory, mostly for material removal rate, but with that high RPM spindle, all the eighth inch and, you know, smaller tooling and engraving bits work great too. So we're keeping all that tooling that we've have had in our store, um, and making that obviously available to this machine too. Yeah. And I've seen, uh, you guys are running a pretty big, uh, large diameter face mill was it in the in some of the promo videos i think i couldn't tell if that was the 14 inch or the i'm sorry the 14 millimeter or the 10 millimeter it, it's the um, stepped 6 to 12 millimeter tool yeah um gotcha okay yeah that was a little scary the first time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah even on the neo uh that I, i'm careful when i run the 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 face mill it's a very light cut very uh, light depth of cut but it does leave a really nice finish it it does so. it's exciting um i think you know that that tool in particular it's it's a bit of money it's like 100 bucks but if you're if you're doing this work and you're making prototypes professionally or you want to make a small run of parts um uh, I, I think and even if you get half serious about this you know you're you're going to want to plunk down for tools like that yeah, the yeah, the nicer tooling. Speed things up. Yeah, it speeds things up. It leaves really nice finish, and um, you know, it's like uh, the more the the more experience you get with it, the more tools you want to have in your toolbox and and be able to switch things up and go to different things. So, um, yeah, that one that one in particular is fun. Um, Dan uh, from from Daytron or from old Daytron days. Now he's moved on. Um, uh, recommended that tool early on. Even on the PCB mill, the breakthrough for me was when I kind of switch over to the single flute tooling, um, take advantage of the RPM really helps on the hobby machines. So I'm starting to see these machines show up in the wild. I saw Saunders, uh, you know, Vince has his hands on one. Um, you guys are I guess, slowly ramping up shipping, right? Yeah. What was hardware? They're for sale already, right? Yes, they are I for sale. I'm trying to ask. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we launched the machine um, in kind of a pre-order fashion in early July. Uh, right. We knew that you know manufacturing during the pandemic was going to be hard. So we every you know week or every you know x number of orders, we ended up pushing the shipping date back another two weeks. So we started six to eight, eight to ten, ten to twelve, so on and so forth, and about. 10, nine weeks ago, um, we were getting ready to send out the first customer machines, which at that point were like, oh, like a week and a half behind schedule. Um, everyone was cool. And we we noticed a couple issues. We noticed an issue with an off-the-shelf part um, that was a pretty critical off-the-shelf part um, that was part of the spindle assembly. And then we, un- in uncovering that, we noticed a couple like, vibration issues. And I think that really what this came down to is like we had we had done our, you know, engineering build after engineering build, but you know, in my old job I used to cross paths a lot with these this this very smart um guy Scott Miller whose whose job was to um manufacture the first like several million Roombas. And he always had this phrase that like what he did was help people go from one to many. And we are going from one to many. We're going from like these engineering builds to mass production. And as soon as we turned on that mass production switch, like the things that happen in hardware, which is very common, is like you you get more data points and you uncover a couple things. So we uncover this vibrational issue, and um, it caused us to pause for a second and say, like, all right, let's like let's update customers. Let's put a pause on shipping. 
um, let's tear down like this part of the machine and this part of the machine and rebuild these and do a bunch of tests um, at the you know component and um, you know subcomponent and assembly level and then start putting things back together and really get to the bottom of it. I think you know to for yeah to make uh, to sort of zoom forward here. We're at a point now where I think we've pretty much got everything back together and we're really happy. And and along the way, we've essentially like taken this time to do a bunch of other upgrades to the tool that for all intents and purposes, probably would have been part of a version two, but we were like, Hey, we're, we're asking our customers to really hang on and wait here with us. And so while we're doing this, like, let's go ahead and just upgrade the tool in a couple other ways. So we, um, we switched over from a toothed timing belt setup to a flat belt setup, which just which brought the um, overall like volume of this machine way way down. Previously, when you're machining aluminum at the like high end of if you're at like 28k and you're really pushing the tool, um, it was like 88 decibels, almost pushing 90 decibels, and 90 decibels is like where. Um, uh, you're supposed to wear hearing protection. Um, my background's in audio. So I was like, this is a little uncomfortable to, to, to be next to when it was, when we were running that with the flat belts, it's, you can be like really chowing through aluminum and, um, I wouldn't take a phone call next to it, but it is not loud. Like it's like, uh, like shop vac loud. Um, like I think the shop vac is some shop vacs will definitely be louder than this machine. <laughs> so that yeah, that was a big noticeably thing. quieter than the tooth belt. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then it just runs smoother, right? There's less vibration at the at the tool. Um, yeah, and then the vibration was a big thing too. Um, so we we actually brought on a uh, vibration analysis expert to really dive into like all of the uh, resonances of the machine. And there's like, um, we just sent this out in a customer update because along the way, we're like, we're trying to keep people in the loop every two weeks. We're sending out sort of a report. Here's what's, here's the work that we've put in. Here's what we've changed. Um, last week, we uh, finalized the design of there's a, there's a, like a big X brace across the XC carriage. And um, you can imagine like a sort of like a drum head. And so we, what he found was like, oh, there's just way too much mass here. And so it's storing energy and then releasing that energy at, you know, at some point in the, in a cut. So we like redesigned that cutting out a, a big, you know, chunk of material in the middle, removing that mass and making it less like a drum. And it's more like a, just a structural web at this point. You fully aerospaced it. <laughs> yeah. No one, <laughs> that it would have been cool if someone, uh, yeah, clicked, clicked the button in, uh, the, the, the special, uh, button infusion to, to really do that. But, um, but yes, along those, along those same lines. I think the other thing, like I mentioned this earlier, though, is, uh, you know, making hardware in-house and then making hardware in-house during a pandemic is like just no joke. Um, you know, we, we have a pretty strict procedure in-house where people like change shoes and uh, check temperature and everyone wears a mask and we socially distance inside and we've got, you know, 10,000 square feet. So it's not we can we can spread out. But when you're building hardware like People need to get pretty close, especially if you've know, got multiple people on a machine. And um, trying to figure out how to do that and keep people safe is just hard. Like, and we've had to remind people a little bit of this. You know, it's like everyone's like, oh, yeah, my Amazon Prime box is not coming 48 hours. It's coming every two weeks. But that CNC machine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the logistical challenge, I think, as well, has, has um, definitely, definitely hurt. But um, yeah, well, it sounds like it's definitely gonna be well worth the wait. Um, you know, it was like I said, even when I saw it in its early, early incarnation, it was an exciting machine. And a uh, big step up for for Bantam, so I can't wait to see the production machine and uh, kind of join up in the community and what people are doing with it. Because um, even you know, like you were saying on the PCB mill, people push that machine way beyond I think what the original designers ever intended uh, people to do with it. And I think it'll, it'll be the same with the uh, with the desktop CNC machine. You guys, you you'll be surprised by your users, right? That's probably the best part of that. It's like oh yeah, seeing what they do with it. Totally. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah. And yeah. So yeah, Vince, you mentioned Vince, he's got an early, 
engineering build of the machine. He has one, you know, obviously before these upgrades um, took place. Uh, Jen Shackner at Tested um, has run a machine. Caleb Kraft at yeah, Make Magazine has run a machine. Um, the the general response, I mean, <laughs> Vince's response was great. Believe the hype. Um, uh, <laughs> is, yeah, it's like, you know, it's it weighs 80 pounds and it means business. It really just tears through aluminum. Um, but we've also had like a lot of good feedback on the software from, from those folks who have tested it and, um, tried to roll some of that stuff into, um, so yeah, I'm particularly excited about people getting into, I'm I'm excited about, you know, job shops who might take one or, or several and start doing like fixturing work with it. Um, yeah. And it's a prototype, you know, it's perfect for, for any kind of prototype lab or whatever. Um, and very capable, especially adding the high comfort level with aluminum, you know, to that machine's repertoire. I think it's going to be uh, a big plus for a lot of people that are doing kind of stuff that, um, like I used to do here <laughs> before I started doing other people's work. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like 2020 has been a terrible year, but when it comes to desktop CNC, it's like, I don't think there's been a better year. Right? You guys have the new machine. Carbide's got some really exciting stuff. I know Pocket and C's working on stuff. Don't know if he'll make it this year, but uh, but they're you know they're starting to show some sneak sneak peeks of it. And uh, and it's like Inventables just did a launch too. Yeah, that's right. The technology and desktop CNC kind of moved fairly slow waves, right? I think the Nomad was introduced in I want to say twenty. 2015 was the or 2014 was yeah, the Kickstarter. So, um, I got mine 2015, 2016. The latest change I think was 2017, 2018, where they upgraded to like a 70, right. 75 watt spindle. So there hasn't been a ton of change. It's been a, a pretty slow, predictable think, you know, progression. Phantom. You know, it's like, almost like a five or year, six year cycle, oh, right? Yeah, uh, it seems to be the norm. So um, I think you know the 2020s. Uh, or the next <laughs> everything's half decade is going to be you know, a big step up from where we were in the teens. So yeah, very excited about that. Hey Zach, I wanted to ask you. Um, so the, like one of the other big, one of like favorite things that Phantom put out um, that I loved is your podcast, The Edge. Are you guys ever going <laughs> to do another season of that? Uh, I I hope so. Yeah, I mean I like. I love doing this. I love, I love talking, talking shop with, you know, other smart folks and who are excited about these tools. Um, when, when I started getting more involved in software development and we started ramping up for our launch, you know, it's like, Brie, I can't, I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> something's gotta give. I can't do another season right now. Um, we, 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 we definitely will bring it back. Um, I think we just need to, we need to get past this, this, in, you know, first, launch and hurdle um but yeah i would totally love to bring it back that's good uh, yeah it was one of my favorites for sure and uh we'll put links to that for folks that haven't uh, caught up for the first three seasons and we'll also um during the kind of the the worst part of the lockdown zach had a interning at home youtube series it was i think it was on youtube right so it was video and audio yeah we were, yeah we were, there was video we were using a uh like a live streaming platform but they were ending up there too yeah some of those okay. some of those were really fun yeah they're great so uh well i'll make sure we put a link uh for those in the show and uh, so what is what is your favorite thing that you've made on the the new desktop cnc machine you ever even Ooh. get to, to play with one yet or oh yeah so busy yet? no no no, no. Yeah. oh yeah i think like one of one of the yeah we we had this pretty epic sprint um for the marketing team so marketing team is yeah, myself and a couple of other folks who, you know, are behind the scenes doing all the crafting of the projects and documentation. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, we put our heads together and, uh, came up with a handful of like everyday carry, um, items like, uh, key bar, you know, wallet, um, you know, you got your bottle opener, um, some of those things that, that are, that just felt like neat and also, uh, good learning platform for, for, for the machine. So we made a, a swath of those, but, um, yeah, like my, my personal hobby is like messing around with, um, modular synthesizers. So, uh, one of the, one of, one of my favorite projects that we've done recently is a, 
um, it's a little synth and uh, arpeggiator that we did in collaboration with uh, this guy, Jesse Simpson, who um, was a resident at NYU ITP. And um, it was a really fun project because we, we could do, like one of the things that I'm excited about um, this machine is people will still mill circuit boards, but then they'll mill the enclosure for it as well. So this is a like a walnut base and then um, little standoffs for a PCB. That's a motherboard for the Adafruit Feather. And that's a microcontroller. Um, it's part of a new series from Adafruit. And then a couple potentiometers and um, you know uh, tack switches and a little bit of I/O for getting audio out. And um, yeah, it's a fun. It's a fun little toy that you can you can make some really neat sounds with um there's there are videos of that there's a video how-to video of it um on our youtube page but then also um i think the soundtrack to that is also um from oh, from the synthesizer cool. <laughs> nice i actually had a question zach i remember the first time you guys showed the machine the very first thing that popped out to me was the z carrot shape because obviously it's a very unique shape yeah and I'm i'm always very curious about machine design and choices and stuff so like what was like some of the reason behind that shape versus like a traditional, you know, box sliding down rails or something like that? Um, I'm just curious if there was any cool insight on that. So the first shape um, had these like cool curved, uh, it was like a T, but rather than being just a straight T, had sort of a, um, like a radius between the vertical and the and the cross of that T. Um mm-hmm. That was more of a design consideration. Like there was, um, yeah, I'm going to do a bad job at answering this question. Of maybe That's okay. about that. Yeah, lead, lead, okay. lead engineer could probably do a better better job at that. But um, the, the recent um, updates have been mostly around how do we just keep this thing as light as possible and as rigid as possible. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. If I had any more other questions about the machine... Um, yeah, I actually have not seen the like the version that's at Saunders. I'm um, taking a class up there probably in 2021, so I might get to see it, it if, if they still it, have it. It's currently in. It's currently in. Uh, let's see, Louis, in Louisiana, where yeah, or oh. wherever um, Vince is these days. He drove home with it to okay. um, do a bunch of uh, speeds and feeds recipes, and I think it's going to make its way oh, back okay. up to um, back up to Zanesville. Yeah, so you, I know you guys have. Uh, it's bigger footprint. It's got a full enclosure. What's just kind of generally, what's the overall footprint on the desk of that machine and the weight? So 80 pounds and it's about 24 inches across about 24 inches tall and, uh, like 28 inches deep. Okay. Yeah. So still very much a desktop, very much desk desktop. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, and it's, it's like a little bit more, um, it's standing up a little bit higher on the desk. It's got, um, some like high density rubber feet that, um, have it standing off the desk about, yeah, two or three times, um, the, the height of the PCB mill. Um, okay. yeah, uh, that's all the enclosure is pretty sweet. It's all, uh, brushed stainless steel. So it's, it's, um, looks nice. Yeah. I saw that in the, uh, the intro video. It looks really nice. So is there uh, anything else you want to tell our audience about Bantam Tools or the machine or uh, anything else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, ch- check it out. Like, uh, go, definitely go to the website, watch some of the videos. There's um, a lot of close-ups of, yeah, the, the finishes, the fit, um, you know, what it sounds like. And um, we, we did uh, some close collaboration early on with um, two of my favorite designers, uh, Ian Schoen, who's a watch and pen designer and he machines off his own work in, in his studio in Philadelphia. So he was part of the launch effort. And then, um, uh, Sayway and Taylor who go under the name CWNT and they also, um, did some early work with the machine. So, um, there's, there's a bit of, uh, yeah, testimonial and kind of behind the scenes from them as well that I think really help tell the story of, you know, what this machine is and who it's for. Very nice. Yeah. I, uh, I, I got to see, but some of their, early work that they posted uh, with that machine. I think it's in your first uh, promo video too. Some really nice surface finishes on, uh, especially on uh, some of the watch stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
more, more, more to come. Um, but yeah, like you said, just excited to get it out into the wild and, um, see more people using the machine and, uh, yeah. And then, and then start making the integration with fusion better. Um, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> especially with the recent changes, I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were on, uh, how that impacts your users, you know, the, the free license yeah. changes. I think for the, you know, probably a lot easier than if we were running a five axis machine. I think, you know, most of the three axis stuff is right. pretty, you know, untouched though. There's the rapids change, um, which that definitely, we're still kind of talking through that. Um, yeah, they, they turned off the, the rapids. Um, yeah. So everything's even the non cutting moves are at the cutting feed rate. Right. So it kind of slows, slows down the, the, uh, overall t- or increases the time it takes for the job to finish. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which I guess you could go in and manually edit the G code. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of tricks like I've been sharing with folks, um, you know, use both ways adaptive. It takes a little longer to calculate, mm. but it's all cutting moves anyway. Mm. It's like basically it cuts out a lot of the wasted, uh, repositioning moves that you would get with one way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your machine could easily handle both ways. Uh, so that actually, you know, for roughing, you're not going to see too much of a penalty with that change that Autodesk made. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that's one way to kind of mitigate it. Um, that's actually my only tip. <laughs> when it comes <laughs> to that. But. I mean, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, we haven't done much conventional machining, I will say on this, on this mill. Um, we've pretty much exclusively been, been climb cutting, but, um, yeah, TBD. Is, is that, um, Winston, is that mostly what, what you guys recommend for the new Nomad? So personally, I go climb for all of my roughing operations for finishing in plastics and now wood. Um, I've also come Mm. to decide that I like conventional finishing. Um, but for the most part, when you're doing your first Mm -hmm. cut, I usually go pure climb. Do you you ever use, uh, both ways on the Nomad or Shapeoko? On the adaptive, um, I I okay. don't to be honest because that that reverse direction cut it doesn't always sound yeah, nearly as good. Um, like I know on a big heavy machine, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. But for for lightweight machines like ours, like there is there's a small difference, and it's enough of a difference that I think if people just in general did that, um, they they might think there was something wrong, or they they just yeah it, yeah. it would throw them off a little bit. And for a lot of people, um, I'm not even sure they're going to get to that phase. Um, Zach, you can uh, correct me if your understanding is different, but for us, a large majority of our users aren't like fusion experts. They're not mm-hmm. flying in there playing with adaptive cuts. They're content with basic yeah. 2D toolpaths. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I'm. I want to encourage people to you know get get away from that. Um, or, or I would say build on is probably a better way to say that uh, sooner than later, just because you, you get like with adaptive toolpaths, like the, the cut quality and the performance just goes up significantly that, you know, I think we have pretty similar um, built in, you know, two and a half D auto cam, if you will, um, conventions in our softwares. And when someone's first experience is like, oh, I'm just going to like slot out like this was one of my big concerns actually with this new machine. It's like just slapping on the like auto two and a half D cam to this new machine. It's like, you're way upping the ante from the PCB mill where you're, you know, cutting out an eighth inch piece of Delrin to now I've got an inch thick piece of aluminum and I'm going to use that tool. Like it's a, it's a different experience. Yeah. So. Get yourself into trouble. Yeah. But yeah, but Winston totally, like, I think a lot of people are like, that's how they get, they get started with those. Um, yeah. And just, educating people to get into fusion, um, more quickly. So I'm trying to embrace, um, I know that John uses a lot internally at Saunders machine works. He use, uses the, um, the cam templates at that fusion kind of has sort of built in where you, you know, click on a toolpath and then you can store it as a template and then you can recall that, that, that template later on. But then when you recall it later on, you have to you know, select the geometry that you want to apply it to in some cases. Um, 
I'm, I'm slowly building out a collection of those that we're going to share with users and then um, hopefully uh, very soon build out a similar, more automated uh, template that we have for the PCB mill um, infusion in HTPE, but now, you know, offer it in aluminum. And honestly, that is the closest you're going to get to like making a CNC machine 3D printing, like, <laughs> no. which is the, the <laughs> templates. Like that's, I mean, it saves so much time and it makes it so much easier for somebody who may not have the experience of like tuning feeds and speeds. Yeah. That they could just click the template and then just as long as they can pick the geometry, then that's, that's a lot of time saved. And totally. I, I, it's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I watched Rob Lockwood. I think Ed, you maybe saw the same class. Um, the year before, um, and Winston, maybe you saw this too. I'm not sure. Um, the the Rob Lockwood technique of um, sort of templatizing toolpaths. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were all there. Oh, you were all there. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I was. I'm I'm late. I'm late to this. It's awesome. <laughs> and this is. I think. I, I you know I've told a couple other friends about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I in particular, like I talked. I remember talking with Ian Schoen about it, and he was like, "This is how machine shops make money." Like no one talked, like people have been doing this for a while, but no one shares it because this is how machine shops make money. They like you, you, you've got a process and you, you can shave, you know, hours off of a setup if you have something like this. And, um, I think it's really important to, the, the first time we shared something like this with, um, a full on, you know, 3d printing user, um, Sophie Wong, who, who, you know, Dove in, you know, headfirst with the, the Bantam Tools PCB mill. Um, that was her first CNC experience, and she was having all this trouble just using the 2D toolpaths, trying to trying to create something, and then got into Fusion and was like, well, "There's so many options, there's so many buttons to check. Like, what am I doing?" And we had we were just kind of um, building out Rob's model for our PCB mill and shared that with her, and you know, she took like had a couple questions about it, and then went off on her own and started doing like full 3D machining in plastics and was just like totally blown away and really excited. And I think that's the thing that we want to bring to those, those new users. Yeah. I mean, just getting that core set of, uh, you know, the order of operations, the roughing to finishing, you know, the, where to start kind of how you progress. That's where the, I think that's a, that'll have a big impact on shortening the learning curve Yeah, for, uh, you know, true CAD CAM software first time users. So yeah. yeah, I was excited to hear you guys are, uh, investing in that. So that actually makes a good segue because um, I know we have you here, Zach, for the Bantam Tools connection, but I also want to talk about you because you're the other half of this equation. Um, And I want to actually sort of, um, we probably (laughs) should have talked about this at the beginning, but I'm curious about what your background was and how you got into (laughs) digital fabrication. Uh, Not not a linear path at all. Um, My... Yeah, so the the quick recap on me is uh, I studied um, like music and a little bit of electronics in undergrad, and for a while, for many years, I played music. I worked in recording studios. I um, w- got slowly sort of you know teaching myself, you know, getting really excited, you know, with Arduino's and um, getting more into programming and. Um, was making like, you know, kinetic sculptures and things like that for artists or large scale LED installations. And um, I did a couple projects that kind of, um, you know, where I was able to cut my teeth on, you know, uh, doing board layout and learning more specifically about electronics. I took the uh, MIT edX uh, 6W2X uh, online electronics course, which is like really hard, but it's uh, was really hard for me. Is the the like class that any undergrad EE has to take at MIT, and um, just kind of like dove into hardware. Um, I was living in New York at the time, and around then launched this. Uh, this funny thing called the public radio, which is like laughably Brooklyn. Uh, it's a single station radio in a mason jar. Um, and, uh, it, it, uh, that was like the first product that I worked on and, um, it still exists. Like we've shipped, I don't know, like 8,000 of them around the world at this point. And, um, but, but early on it was my best friend and I who were, um, assembling these and like going through this whole hardware process. And, I around then started at Kickstarter and and that was that was kind of what led me into digital fabrication. So I was directing the design and technology communities at Kickstarter. And towards the end of my time there, about four years in, I was really focusing on the digital fabrication community. 
and ended up working. There was this funny moment with digital fabrication tools where like there were all these sort of like niche desktop tools. So like um, one of them that I worked on was uh, Knitterate, which is a large scale desktop knitting machine. Uh, the other one was Wazer, um, which is the, the the desktop water jet uh, machine. There was a kind of quirky CNC machine called Goliath that you would, um, it like triangulates itself. It's, a, it's basically a plunge router that you plop on top of a, of a big surface and um, set up these two or three stanchions with some cabling and it sort of pulls itself around the workpiece. And so I, I was coaching all these projects because that was kind of my job was helping these folks figure out how to tell their story. And uh, then around then, yeah, Brie, Brie approached me and was like, hey, do you want to, um, do you want to, like, I'm moving Bantam to, like, literally, you know, 10 minutes down the road from where you live now. Um, do you want to, do you want to come, come join the, join the party and and help make this, this next push a reality. And that, that was the first time that I had, like, got into machining. Like I had zero CNC experience. Um, and, uh, it was a, it's just, it's just been a lot of fun to get to learn this as a, as a hobby and then think about it a little bit more technically too. That's pretty awesome. So is this more or less <laughs> stressful than your previous job? Uh, it is more, it's more rich. It's more of everything, right? Like, uh, I, I think the the exciting thing about working at a place like Kickstarter is that you um, get to see so so much uh, hardware development. You know, I, I probably coached over two hundred campaigns during my time there, and like uh, a lot of those were like really big campaigns where I'd be involved with the team for for you know four months beforehand, and um, that was that was fun, but it would you know, uh, a campaign would end after 30 or 45 days and, you know, we'd keep in touch and, you know, um, then there'd be another, you know, set of 10 or 12 projects. So that was exciting just for the expansiveness of it. I think this is just different because we're, you know, all day, every day, we're just, we're working on this one machine and really trying to fine tune, you know, every detail. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They're 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 definitely definitely full plate. The last few months have been have been pretty heavy. I look at it as like you know the stuff you're doing, this kind of stuff that BT's doing, is the foundation for inspiring the next generation of Kickstarter, right? So these tools that help you prototype, we're going to help those people with their whatever their product idea. Is. Yes, so it's really you know it's empowering. So very <laughs> cool to see this. Uh, you know, continuing improvement in these uh, this class of machine, I get excited about it. Yeah, no, I like I I think that that's like really where my heart is. Um, and kind of drawing back to that experience, like you know, one of the things, one of the projects I was involved at Kickstarter was really setting up more of a pipeline for applications engineers to be able to talk to first time hardware creators. Because uh, you make all the classic mistakes, right? You under underprice and um, underestimate. Um, you know, how long and how hard it's going to be to produce a product. And um, so how do you, how do you create sort of a feedback loop for those folks and um, prototyping early, prototyping often and inexpensively is, is like pretty crucial. Um, And yeah. So like what a better way to make an impact than, you know, be producing tools that, that really help those folks. That's um, I think that's, that's like really where my, my heart is at is like just supporting the creative community. So that, that's part of the reason why I love the, the podcast so much. And then also like spinning up our like remote residency. So, you know, what's it, what's the experience like when you send a, you know, Luthier, uh, a CNC machine and they've never had one. And now they're like machining faceplates for, you know, electronics and guitars and, um, like that, 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 uh, that experience has been really inspiring. So do you have, I know we're, we got to wrap up soon, but, um, given where you are now, what you've seen, uh, just through the Kickstarter and seeing how people are making things. And now you're making the things that people use to make things. Where do you, where do you see the intersection of fabrication technologies and art and manufacturing in a couple of years? Where do you hope we'll end up? Well, I think one of the things that we're doing, um, with all the machines that, you know, all these companies, um, whether it's Bantam, Carbide, Venables are, are doing, and I think getting better at is 
educating more people with the vocabulary of manufacturing and the experience of manufacturing. Um, I want to be like very clear with, with folks when, you know, when they are thinking about buying one of these machines, like it's not the machine that you're going to do a large scale production run on. Um, some people might for, you know, for a small thing. Um, but it's going to be the tool that you prototype on. And, um, that experience is invaluable. It's literally how you, you put together the vocabulary that you use to go to a contract manufacturer and you say, Hey, you know, like we got to move this datum or like this finish is no good. And, or like you're setting the part up wrong or, um, or here's how I set up the part, you know, maybe, maybe maybe it's not that intense, but you, you have these building blocks. And I think that that is really where all these, these tools are making an impact. Um, and then, you know, I have a lot of friends who are are involved in the metal three D three D printing space. Um, Spencer Wright, who is the the other half of, of the public radio, worked for a while at a company called Entopology um, that's doing some really fancy stuff with three D printing. And I think the the desktop CNC space. Not I think I know it is going to like we're going to get a lot closer to that that one click uh, machine type of, um, experience in the not too near future, uh, or excuse me, not too distant future, I should say. And that I think is really exciting. We're going to start to see a lot more people, you know, not printing things out of PLA, but machining them out of aluminum. And, um, yeah, that's, that's really exciting to me. You know, like the feeling that I had the first time I like flipped apart with this new machine and, uh, you know, finish the little filleted edges and it's really exciting. It's super empowering making something out of metal, the like permanence that it has, um, is, is, is just inspiring. So I'm excited to, for more people to have that experience. I I will say, I also like the answer about, um, what I like to Mm. call just digital fabrication literacy, uh, cause that awareness has definitely improved over time. But so has the standard of like the kinds of machines that people expect now. Because uh, I was looking at the old Kickstarter for the Nomad, and I, I look at that, I'm like, oh, that would not fly these days. But Eddie, you're right. This is like the golden age of digital fabrication. Like the machines are just getting better and better, and the technology, the software is coming up to meet it. So I don't know. Should be a lot of cool things coming out really soon. In the community. I mean, that's the other big thing. Like so many good learning resources out there now. Um, yeah. Winston being a big one, of course. But, uh, uh, just one of several yeah. many good ones. John Saunders, everybody. Yeah, Vince is putting some good stuff out. So if you're not already into this, you probably wouldn't be listening <laughs> to this podcast. But, <laughs> but if you're not, you should be. Well, thanks, Zach. I really appreciate you guys, uh, you joining us this evening. Um, I know it's the weekend's kind of tough to get everyone together, but uh, really, really yeah. enjoyed having you on the show and excited for what uh, Bantam's got coming up. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, this was awesome to catch up with you all and, and talk shop. So yeah, thanks again. Thanks for yeah. coming, Zach. Appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Later, guys.